0: path first corinthians chapter 14 starting at verse 7 says and even things without life giving sound whether pipe or harp except they give a distinction in the sounds how shall it be known what is piped or harped so for if the trumpet give an uncertain sound who shall prepare himself to the battle so likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For you shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. For With the help of the Lord this morning, I'm going to be preaching about the weight of words. The weight of words. We, we know that the Bible is a book full of words, and it has a lot to say about words. There's a lot to say about words. Some examples of that. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 2 says, Be not rash with thy mouth. Let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. The writer of the scripture is telling us that when you make a promise to God or you approach God about something, be careful. He doesn't forget. You know, We, we make grand statements sometimes and we forget 30 seconds later God doesn't forget. So we need to be careful about that. When you make a commitment to the Lord, do so sincerely and carefully. Some more well-known verses, Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. That's a scripture that's very easy to read, but not always easy to practice. Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 20 says, where no wood is, there the fire goes out. So where there is no tail bearer, the strife ceases. In other words, if you don't pass gossip along, it dies. It requires somebody to add fuel to the fire. And in a similar vein, we're not going to turn there this morning, but in the book of James, in the New Testament, most of chapter 3 is teaching us about the power of our tongue or the power of our words. It uses very descriptive language, things such as our tongue being a fire, And being set on fire of hell, if you remember back to Proverbs where it said where there's no wood, the fire goes out. And how even though our tongues are such a small part of our body, it can start great trouble. It's compared to the bit in a horse's mouth that can turn around such a powerful animal. It's compared to a rudder on a ship. Just a small part, but very influential. Proverbs 18 and 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof, whichever of those options you choose. I imagine in a room full of human beings that all of us have had experiences where we wish we could somehow rewind the tape, go back in time and perhaps change the way we said something, or perhaps not say it at all, uh, unless you're a very unique person or have a memory problem. I imagine that that applies to all of us. Situations that may have happened years ago, and yet we might still cringe a little bit when we think about them, what we said and how we said it. Or the reverse or the flip side of that, when somebody else has said something to us that may have wounded us deeply, and even though we may have forgiven them, your brain certainly holds on to those words. And as Christians, as you can read in many places in the Scripture, We are required to take great care with our words. I touched on some of this recently here, but we are always required to try not to offend and not to say something that will bring death instead of life. And that is a process that we will continue to need to apply ourselves as long as we live. But offense is a two-sided coin for Christians. On the one side, we must always try not to offend others. And if we do offend somebody, we should make it right as soon as possible. Why do we do that? Because we are to have the love of God in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. The other side of the same coin is that as Christians, we should not be easily offended. And if we are, we should be able to forgive quickly for exactly the same reason, because we are to have the love of God in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Amen. Going back to our opening text in 1 Corinthians fourteen seven through 10, I'll read that again says, and even things without life giving sound, so things that aren't living objects, musical instruments, pipes and harps, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is being piped or being harped? For if a trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise ye, except you utter by the, word, by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken, for you shall speak into the air? There are, it may be so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification, none of them was without significance. If you know the context of 1 Corinthians 14, you know that the Apostle Paul has been giving instruction about what we call the gifts of the Spirit, or supernatural gifts that God puts within the church to people that are filled with the Spirit that God wants to use for the edifying or strengthening of the church. And in this passage that we've read a portion of, Paul is particularly writing about what happens when we speak in tongues in a public setting. The easiest way for us to understand that is obviously in a church service. As you may have heard this morning, this is your first time in a Pentecostal church. That's what that's about. The Bible tells us that when they were filled with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, they spoke in other tongues or in other languages that they had not previously learned. And Paul lets us know that when we speak in tongues by the Spirit of God, We speak to God. We are edified or blessed or strengthened personally in our relationship with God, but those that are around about us, it makes no sense to them. There's no understanding for anyone who hears us unless, as we heard this morning, there is the gift of tongues which is followed by an interpretation which brings understanding of what the message is. So Paul goes on to say that it is better to prophesy or the word prophecy means to speak under the anointing, not just the gift of prophecy or the office of a prophet. But he's saying it's better to prophesy than to speak in tongues because it's for the benefit of those that hear so they can be understood. He also gives an example of saying we are able to identify musical instruments by the sound they make. Even a badly played instrument can usually be identified. Some instruments, the, error, the margin of error is a lot smaller than others. You know, a bad note on a keyboard in a whole song not so bad. A badly played violin is a whole other story. So it's a horrendous sound when a violin is played badly. But you still know that's a violin. Nobody thinks it's a trumpet. You know it's a violin. And it is the sound that allows us to distinguish or signify which instrument is being played. Each has a certain sound. And Paul takes another step and he says that in a battle, in a battle, when a trumpet—or we would probably better relate to the idea of a bugle being used to make certain sounds—and times gone by in history, when when wars were basically fought on battlefields, when armies would line up against each other with archers and cavalry and all the various bits and pieces, the person with the trumpet gave the instructions. They didn't have, you know, wireless earpieces like they do in the movies nowadays. And so, for an army of thousands, a certain set of notes meant retreat it meant attack it meant the archers should go to action it meant the cavalry. so there was all these things that he said if that sound is not right who shall prepare himself for the battle so for example if the battle is going against you and you want the the trumpet player the bugler to sound the retreat and he gets mixed up and sounds the advance the consequences could be very severe because he's played the wrong song and there is important and so Paul is saying that when we speak in tongues, he's not teaching us that we shouldn't speak in tongues. He's talking about the purpose of the gifts in corporate or collective worship. And he's saying that when we speak in tongues and people cannot understand what we're saying, it's as if our words are spoken into the air. They have no weight. They have no value. You know, as much as I, you know, I can feel blessed to see somebody else getting a blessing, when they're worshiping God and speaking in tongues, I haven't got a clue what they're saying. Only the Lord does, and that's fine because that's its purpose. But to me, they're speaking out into the air. In the book of First Samuel, and we won't turn there, I'm just going to paraphrase, we learn of a woman named Hannah who was unable to have children. Hannah was desperate for a child, particularly for a son. And if you think that's sexist, you can take that up with the Old Testament. But the reason was that a son would provide for his mother in her old age. That was why having a son was particularly significant. And Hannah prayed to the Lord and she promised the Lord that if he gave her a son, that she would give that child back to the Lord. And you stop and think about that for a moment. She needs a son to take care of her, but she's committing to giving her security back to God if he gives her a son. God hears her prayer. She gives birth to a boy by the name of Samuel. And once Samuel is old enough to leave his parents, Samuel goes and serves in the house of the Lord, and he serves with a priest by the name of Eli. And Samuel was born in a time when there was a lot of corruption in the priesthood, and things in the church, we might say, in a modern parallel, were not as they were supposed to be. And the Scripture says that at that time the word of God was precious. And that there was no open vision and that King James language is letting us know that they very rarely heard from God. There were not prophets that were speaking to them on God's behalf because of the spiritual condition of the nation. One night Samuel as just a young man goes to bed and the Lord calls him by name. Samuel, thinking that Eli has called him, gets up and runs to the priest's room and said, Here I am, what do you need? And Eli said, I didn't call you, go back to bed, go back to bed. This happens three times. Samuel hears his name called. Jumps up, runs to Eli's room and says, what do you need? And he said, I didn't call you. Finally, Eli realizes something's going on. The the young man's not hallucinating. He realizes that God is trying to talk to the young man. And he tells Samuel that if he hears his name called again, that he is just to say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord did call Samuel again, and God spoke to Samuel that night about what was going to happen in the nation of Israel because of their sin. And God began to speak to Samuel from that point forward in his life. He began to step into the office of a prophet. And Samuel had such clarity in hearing from God that the Scripture says in 1 Samuel 3 and 19, it says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. What that tells us is that when Samuel spoke as the prophet, he never, ever got it wrong. He always heard clearly from God. So in comparison to our words being spoken into the air, the prophet's words had weight. They had substance. There was value in them because he was speaking as the mouthpiece of God. They did not simply blow away into the air. The prophet Samuel would go on to anoint the first two kings of Israel. Saul and David, he would be the voice of God in their lives and he would give direction to a nation. He was a man of God. There was no doubt that God spoke to Samuel and he spoke on behalf of God. And the apostle Paul told us that there are many kinds of voices in the world. He didn't say there's just a small gathering. He said it seems that there are many kinds of voices in the world and we hear them every single day. The voices of our children. Sometimes, when you're a parent and your children are small, you wish the word mom or dad had never been invented because it's said 10,000 times in a day. And all the parents of small children can understand what I'm talking about. But our children, our spouse, our extended family, our neighbors, our colleagues, our teachers, our school friends, employers, politicians social media, mainstream media, music, print media, brothers and sisters in the church, pastors, teachers, preachers, and so on and so on. So many voices, all of them offering advice, making suggestions, giving instructions, opinions, criticism, ridicule, compliments, flattery, building you up, tearing you down, trying to get you to go the right way, trying to deceive you towards the wrong way. Even your own heart and mind, the Bible says, you've got to be careful with. And each of us, whether we realize it or not, finds, a, finds ourselves in the very sobering responsibility of weighing the words that we hear, of determining which ones have value. The picture in my title slide, if you're able to go back to that for a moment, please, Daniel, is a picture of an old-fashioned balance scale. Now, I'm old enough that when I was an apprentice, we used a balance scale In the in the bakery that I worked in, it wasn't quite that old, but uh, so I know what using one of those is like. But uh, some of you think, where's the digital screen? Shouldn't there be something with an LCD on there that tells me what I'm weighing? But uh, that's a fairly recent event. And so, with an old-fashioned balance scale, as you can obviously see, you place a certain weight, whether it's 100 grams, 500 grams, a kilo, whatever it was, on one side. And then the material or the object you're, pl- you're trying to weigh goes on the other side. And when it levels out, you know that's what its weight is. And in the ancient world, merchants that traveled to markets across the land would carry bags of weights. You can read about that in the Old Testament. And if the merchants were corrupt, which was, I'm sure none of them ever were, none of us have ever been ripped off anywhere, but if the merchants were corrupt, they might actually have a couple of sets of weights one lighter and one heavier. So if I was buying grain from you as an example and the agreed price was $5 for a kilo of grain or whatever the market rate was at the time, then I would take out my slightly heavier kilo, my 1.1 kilo weight, put it on the scale, give you the $5 and I would actually get more grain than I paid for. But if I was selling you the grain for $5 a kilo... I would take out the other weight that was maybe 950 or 900 grams and put that on the scale. And you would get less grain than you were supposed to. Because the, the, the weights were, you know, the, nowadays, particularly if you work in kitchens, there's somebody comes around every once in a while to make sure your scales are all working properly. I'm not sure that worked that way in the Old Testament. But if you were a dishonest person, that's what you would do. So, so weight was directly connected to value. And in much the same way, the words or the voices that we value carry more weight in our lives. give you an example. If you're on the train or the bus and you're coming home from work and some random person on the bus just looks at you and says, man, you look old. You know, you might be a bit taken aback that they've said that to you, but you think, oh, they're just having a bad day. It's just some weirdo on the train. But then you get home and your spouse says, man, you're looking old today. It's a whole different story. Why? Because there's more weight in their words. It's the same statement, but hopefully you put more weight in the words of your spouse than the random stranger on the train. If you don't, then you may have a bigger problem than just looking old today. But it comes down to the weight of the words and how much value they have. And scripture is full of examples of people putting weight in either the right words and voices or the wrong ones. When Adam and Eve hid from God in Genesis after their sin and he confronted them and he said, why are you hiding? And they said, we're naked. And the first question was, who told you? Whose voice have you suddenly put weight in? Whose voice have you allowed to influence you? When the prophet Samuel that we spoke about tried to correct King Saul after he was disobedient, God gave him a very specific, clear set of instructions that he was to follow in a particular battle and he only partially obeyed them. And Samuel confronted him and tried to correct him. Saul would not listen. And his refusing to listen contributed to the kingdom being torn from him and given to another. And he was told by the prophet, he said, there was a time when you were little in your own sight. And if you read the scripture, Saul was a big guy. He wasn't a little guy. But he was small in his own sight. He was humble. He was teachable. He was respectful to the old prophet. But now, because he'd become a little important in his own eyes, he'd become rebellious. Samuel told him very straightly that rebellion was just like the sin of witchcraft. And if you think about that, witchcraft opens people up to the evil side of the spiritual world, which lets us know that rebellion can do exactly the same thing. The man who would replace Saul, King David, fell into a terrible sin. It would seem on the outside much worse than what Saul did. He committed adultery with another man's wife and had that man killed in an effort to cover his sin. And when the prophet Nathan, Samuel's not on the scene at this point, but the prophet Nathan came to him and confronted him with his sin, he repented before God. He was broken that he had fallen so far so quickly. Two kings, two sinful choices two prophets, two very different outcomes. Why? Two different sets of weights. David put a lot of weight in the voice of the prophet. Saul had changed the weights and Samuel's voice was no longer as heavy to him as it used to be. You move on from Solomon's life, you get to his son Rehoboam. Rehoboam takes the throne from his father and the people come to him And they say, you know, your dad was pretty tough. He worked us hard. He taxed us heavily. If you could be a little bit nice to us, we'll be really good citizens and we'll serve you as the king. And he said, give me a little time to think about that. And Rehoboam went to two different voices. He went to the elders first. And he said, what should I do? And they said, well, you know, they're right. Your dad was tough. And if you will care for them, if you will be gentle to them, if you will serve them, then the people will follow you all the days of your life. And he went to his peers, to the young men. They said, oh, don't you listen to them. You be tougher. You be stronger. You be meaner, nastier, ugly, and you just let them know who's boss. And he chose to put more weight in the council of his peers than the elders. And he went back to the people and he said, if you thought my dad was tough, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm going to be meaner and uglier and nastier than my dad ever was. And it tore the nation in half. Literally split the nation into two different countries the 12 tribes of Israel were broken into one nation of two tribes and another one of 10 because he put weight in the wrong voices. Amen. In a marketplace, when you work with a balance scale, where you spend your money decides what you take into your possession. And the words that you put the most weight in, the ones that you decide are the most valuable, is where you invest your heart and your mind. The words that have the most weight in your life, we read from Proverbs that life and death and the power of the tongue, you'll eat the fruit thereof. Whatever you invest in, that's the fruit that you'll eat. That's what you will get from that outcome. We have to be careful about words. We're living in an age, let me just take a moment to knock social media on the head if I can. We've created a society where in social media, the opinions and approvals and likes of others can dictate what kind of day people have. If I put up a photo and no, not enough of my friends like that photo, then I I might fall into deep depression by afternoon tea time. And you might laugh, but that's a serious problem in our society right now. Why? Why is there weight in these voices and these opinions? Your value. Let me say this very clearly, particularly those of you on social media. I don't just say it to young people because a lot of people of all ages are on there. Your value is not found in whether or not people like your post. Your picture or your tweet or your Snapchat or your whatever else is going on. Too old, sorry. Young people, this is a young people's disease. Please do not post pictures of yourselves posing, waiting for your friends to tell you how beautiful you are or how handsome you are. And then when they do, pretend that's not the reason you put it there in the first place. I don't mind if it's quiet. That's okay. That's shallow. It's vain. It's vain. And it comes from insecurity and pride. You spend all that time putting on the outfit and doing your hair and taking the photo in the right lighting and using that filter and all that took you two hours to get it just the way you wanted it before you posted it. And then your friend comes and says, oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, don't say that. (laughs) Which is exactly what you wanted them to say in the first place. Their words should not have that much value. Move on from that or I'll get stuck and get into trouble. But you are a child of God. Your value is not determined by the comments and the emojis in your social media. And how we weigh things matters to God. Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 13 says, Thou shalt not have in thy bag diverse weights or a variety of sizes and options, a great and a small. It's that unevenness I was talking about before. Thou shalt not have in thine house diverse measures, a great and a small, but thou shalt have a perfect and just weight. A perfect and just measure shalt thou have, that thy days might be lengthened in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. For all that do such things have two different weights, and all that do unrighteously are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Verse 13 and 14 speaks to us of not only having consistency in how we weigh and measure things in public, but also in thy house. That's where it starts, is in our homes. I've had a crack at the young people. Men, how we love and lead our families, how we care for our wives and our children. What are we measuring that with? Ladies, how we love and honor our husbands. I know that's a bit old-fashioned, but it's Bible. How we care for our children. That what are we measuring? What are we weighing with? Children, how we honor our mothers and fathers. Public or private, it is all measured or weighed by the word of God. And in, in the life of a child, and we all understand this, there are sometimes stages where the weight of our parents' words changes in our sight. If you think back to when you were growing up, you might remember that. If you've had children, you might also have observed that. Uh, I I certainly don't think that this has to happen. I think that some people think that young people have to go through bad seasons. I I, I dispute that. Young people can walk with God. They do have to grow through those processes of growing up. We understand that. But in a life of a child, there are some little children usually believe their parents can do no wrong. Small children have a hard time understanding that no dad can't actually fix that thing they broke. But then as they grow and they begin to attend school and sometimes particularly go through adolescence, other voices come into their lives and the weights and values of their family and their parents can be challenged. It used to boggle my mind how my son's 11-year-old friends were smarter than me. It used to amaze me that he went to school with such incredibly intelligent children that knew more than his dad did. But that's part of life. You go through that and you learn as a child how you're going to weigh those voices. And as I said, I do not believe that it has to be a perilous time in adolescence. There are young people here that have demonstrated that's not the case. But decisions can be made and voices can be listened to in our youth that can impact the direction of the rest of our lives when you change your weights, when you decide whose words have the most weight. It is so very important that we hear and value the word of God and the voices that God has placed in our lives because it filters through to all areas of our lives. This has been on my mind a lot lately and you know we wish I think maybe it's just me maybe I'm strange but sometimes I think we would like to compartmentalize our lives. You imagine when you go to an airport or a train station they have rows of lockers Some of us would like our lives to be like that. We can put this part of our life up in the top and close that door and lock it and keep it separate from this part of our life, which might be our job and our family and our church. And We want to try to keep, but you cannot do that because your life filters into other areas. Your life, good Christmas example perhaps, but your life is a lot more like a fridge. Everything's in there together. And that rotten fish, it doesn't matter which shelf you put it on. If you leave it in there with the milk, your cornflakes are going to taste strange in a couple of days. Because everything is affecting everything else. That's, that's how it works. You, you cannot have sin over here and righteousness over here. You cannot have unforgiveness over here and ministry over here. They cannot go to, you can't have a bad spirit over here and have acceptable worship over here. It'd be nice to be able to box your life in the difference. Well, I'll deal with that later, but I'm just going to walk with God. No, no, it's all in the same thing. And you may wish it was like a storage locker, but it's not. Our hearts and minds are everything more like a fridge than a storage locker. You know, the Orthodox Jews, when they would keep the Passover, their instructions clearly stated that no leaven or no yeast or no yeast products were allowed to be in their homes. And the tradition says that they would search through their houses with a candle, obviously pre-electricity, searching for anything that they might have missed. Now, here's the question. Does God really care if you missed a slice of bread in the freezer? Or is there a principle here for us about our hearts? Is there not a principle here that we are to search our houses, as it were? Amen. Is the Word of God weighty to us? Is it where we get our principles from? Is it where our thinking comes from? You see, faith, biblical faith, is when we count the Word of God as valuable and weighty. When we we, we don't dismiss it easily. Jesus said, and I'm nearly done, Jesus said in John chapter 10, He said that the sheep hear the shepherd's voice, that they follow Him, and the reason is that they know His voice. He then went on to say that they will not follow a stranger because they know not the voice of strangers. I don't believe that meant that the sheep never heard a stranger's voice, but they were able to determine which was the shepherd and which was the stranger. And they understood who their shepherd was, and so they responded to that voice. You imagine in that kind of a society, there's there's all different people working with the sheep and the flocks and the herds. The sheep would have heard voices all day, but they knew the voice of the shepherd and they would not follow the stranger because they they did not know it meant they did not put any weight in the voice of the stranger but the shepherd's voice had weight in it and in my experience in the years that i've been in church when people walk away from god there is almost always a new voice that has joined the chorus somewhere Somewhere along the way, there is a voice that wasn't there before that's been added and over time has gained weight and value and has impacted that situation. So each of us determines which words have weight or value. And where you choose to invest, that value will be reflected in your returns. What you get back out of that. Jesus spoke to us of hearing his words, receiving his words, keeping his words and his words abiding in us. And in John chapter 6, he said that the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Let's stand together this morning.